0: over the last weeks we've been uh, looking at this letter that is God's words to God's people in the church in Ephesus and other churches in the first century and in a moment we're going to hear his word for us today. And as over these last weeks we've been uh, as we've been hearing this letter this word of God uh, to us the first 3 chapters all about the one who is Lord Jesus. Who the writer St Paul uh, says to these early Christians is the one under whose feet God has placed everything and everyone. The one who is the Lord. Chapter 1 verse 22. Who this Lord Jesus is. How great is his power and his purposes. The last three chapters beginning with the word therefore. Therefore because of who Jesus is because of all his promises therefore this is how to live we're aware of different ways uh, to live there are all sorts of gods in the world when I was uh, seven years old this was the only god I knew I've um, got a picture of the poster that was on my bedroom wall and this was the god the one who I worshipped who I longed to be like and to be honest, so did most of the guys who I played football with in our streets or in the school playground. You know who he is? Not many of you are old enough, are you? But back in the day, in the 60s and 70s, he was um, uh, England's top goal scorer. A commentator said of him, watching him score a goal was as effortless as someone closing the door of a Rolls-Royce. Hmm. Jimmy Greaves. This was his name. And um, me and everybody else uh, who I played football with, we longed to be uh, like him, a goal scorer. Nobody wanted to play in defence and definitely not be in goal because the glory was in the goal scoring. When we got the ball, uh, we'd never pass to someone else because the glory was scoring a goal. But when I was eight, I went into Mr. Everington's class. He was the school football coach. And he started to teach us that football is a game where you needed to think a bit differently. Greatness in football is not about being the star, but about being one of the team. We needed a totally different view of goalkeeping and defending. And in fact, every other player on the team. If we were going to be really great, the letter to the Ephesians is about what greatness in the kingdom of God looks like a whole new way of living. And Paul, the writer, is talking to these churches in Ephesus and other places who were called followers of the way. Who's the way? The one who said he was and is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus, under whose feet God has put everything. It's not just seven-year-olds and it's not just on a football field that the normal way to think and to live is to want to be like uh, this guy here, Jimmy Greaves. And want as much glory and greatness as you can get for yourself. It's certainly true in the the Greco Roman world, which has this pantheon of gods. All of them are great and majestic and mighty for different domains of life if you wanted a great harvest there was a god for that if you wanted victory in the battlefield there was the god of war if you wanted a victory in your physical health there was a god for that a promising greatness to ever bow down to them gods who lorded it over the world there was no god of service or humility this was the posture of Jesus, the attitude, the body language of Jesus. Can you put up the, uh, the next picture, if you would? Summing up who the one God, uh, not him, <clears throat> him, the God's who enters this world amongst the pantheon of other gods, is the one whose posture is summed up by something he did 24 hours before he died, kneeling at his disciples' feet and washing them, taking the place of the lowest of the low of the household, who 24 hours later will take up the posture of the crucified one, Jesus said to his disciples, this is my way. Whoever wants to become great among you must have this posture, must be your servant. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's like Jimmy Greaves offering to be the goalkeeper in our football match on the streets. This is the posture of Jesus who says, follow me, live like this. Marie is going to read for us now from Ephesians chapter 5. How this posture, how this Jesus likeness is lived out in our relationships with others.
1: So Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which is he is the Saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but... I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may li- enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not aspirate to your children. Instead, bring them up in the training instru- and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your, own, from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will, will reward you, everyone, for whatever good he does, whether he's a slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Thank you. This whole letter to the Ephesians could be summed up in this way. Jesus is Lord, we are not. Let us follow him. But his way uh, was as countercultural, was as shockingly different to the uh, world of the first century as it is today. Submit yourselves to one another. Our reading began. Hear the word submission, what it sounds like, just taking that on its own, as like self-obliteration. As though um, nothing good can, it can happen if you go to that place. Someone doing a Bible study on Ephesians in one of our home groups told me last week that group had problems with the way Paul expressed himself. But maybe it's particularly with the translation of, of that word, submission. What good can come from that? The word that Paul actually uses is uh, this one. Can you uh, go to the, the next slide as we look at what this is? The posture of Christ. This is the Greek word he used, hupotasso, which literally means to place or arrange under. A military term as soldiers before a fight were called to arrange themselves as the centurion in the Roman army uh, placed them. And as the soldiers in the army put their allegiance in the one who would upotasso them, that they might be the most effective. To place yourself under a higher power, one who will not abuse you, who will not diminish you, but who will take you to the place of greatness. This is what the word literally means. The voluntary attitude of coming into line and cooperating with one you trust, with one you look up to because their credentials are supreme. The letter of the Ephesians is saying Jesus' credentials, his authority is supreme. He models the life of upotasso, placing, arranging oneself willingly under the authority of one who cares for you, who is there for you. Jesus puts himself and the authority of his father, who is our father in heaven. Trust me as you trust God, he tells his disciples. And these are three great things that he will give us when we do. He promises us great value. He promises us a great calling. He promises us a great help. When you follow Jesus, here's who you are. The beginning of the chapter from just before our reading uh, says this. This is the great value. that The one you can trust. That the one you can willingly and reassuringly place yourselves under who is Jesus. Because of him you are, Ephesians 5 verse 1, dearly loved children. This is your value. You are a child of God worth dying for you. Can you put that on the next slide? You see, there's no greater value put on you. Because this is Jesus washing your feet and mine within a day of taking the posture of the crucified one dying on a cross for you. You are of great worth. But Paul goes on to write in Ephesians chapter 5, be careful how you live, because the days are evil. And the evil one tempts us to live a different way, to find our value in other things, to find our value in being better than others, in seeking to take the place of Lord and lording it over others. In seeking lordship for ourselves, we look down on the rest who we dismiss, disinherit, disable. This is the the first temptation, if you uh, think back to the Garden of Eden. And the devil tempts Eve and Adam with this possibility to take the place of God, to lord it over others, as Cain starts to do over his brother Abel, as Jacob starts to do over his brother Esau, as uh, kings who God puts in power start to do in their own strength, falling away from God's way and falling into the way of endlessly ranking putting in hierarchies and boxes and labels, other people. The temptation to find worth in being better than others. Archbishop Desmond Tutu said that if you find yourself rescuing people drowning in a river, it's good to go upstream and find out why they are falling in. And if we go upstream to the beginning of history, we see this first temptation as the evil one tempts Adam and Eve with the pride of being someone who God never intended them to be, to be God Himself, the arbiter of good and evil. It's the reason for the world's discriminations and dismissing and disabling and disinheriting of others. Jesus is Lord, you are not. The verdict of God over you as over the first uh, people, very good. And over every other person who's made in his image, very good. All the false supremacies and hierarchies and evil stem from a fallen way I heard this week in the news that for the last 20 years, the most commonly played song, like the soundtrack of a person's life at the end of a funeral, um, is this one. There are many ways to uh, live, and there's nothing wrong with Frank Sinatra's song. I'm sure it's a great song, but Jesus' worth is not through how tall he stood and how great he's been. But in following the one who is great, under who God has put all things and all people, he says there is a great worth on your life. And secondly, he has a great calling on your life to be as he was to others. Paul is writing to his church how they're meant to be with one another Those who Jesus is at work in because they too are following his way. Here's how husbands are meant to live. An extraordinary message in our first century patriarchal society. To love your wives as Christ loved the church. Giving his whole life on a cross to the church. Husbands, that's how you're meant to be. Fathers, this is how you're meant to be. Do not exasperate your children. This was my daughter's favorite verse after they heard it in, uh, uh, in uh, the youth Bible study group. And someone said to me, Father, do not exasperate your children. An extraordinary message in first century society when all the obligations were on the children. Masters, this is how you're to treat the slaves in your household. Treat them... As you would Jesus Himself in a kind way instead of a threatening one, an extraordinary countercultural message no wife, no child, no slave is going to be diminished in a household where the kingdom of God is at work. The Jesus way, the Jesus calling on your life and mine is one of radical interdependence of mutual uh, serving what does that look like for you what is the way this day we can have this posture of Jesus who takes the place of the servant the only God the only true God who takes this posture this is your great calling, not to be served, but to serve. Following the one who gave his life as a ransom for many. This is the way life works best. Your calling of mine is not to be great, but to serve the one who is great. Jesus is Lord, we are not. Mr. Etherington's lesson, remember, little illustration of that. Football doesn't work with 11 players all trying to be great and keep the ball and score the goals for themselves. But there's something inside us that doesn't want to submit to another's greatness. Which is why so much in the world doesn't work well. Even after following Jesus for two or more years, the disciples are still arguing Who's the greatest among us? But when Jesus is Lord, you discover as they did. You have a great value. You have a great calling. And you have the promise, finally, of his great help. Can you just put up the uh, final slide? This is the, uh, the word of encouragement. In a world that sees uh, servanthood, of ranking yourself less, of taking the place of a servant, of washing another's feet, as ridiculous as it sounded in the first century, you have a great promise. Chapter 6, verse 8. You know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good they do. This is the great promise that Jesus is with us the final part of the letter we're looking at it next week is that we're in a battlefield all of us to go jesus's way the way of service or the way of frank frank sinatra my way and the resources of jesus's presence the power of his holy spirit all the resources he gives are to those who hupotasso, to put themselves under his authority. The only way to win this battle is with Jesus' presence. Intriguingly, the song at funerals that's now number one, it's not a Christian song, but it's a clue to this great promise. Do you know what it is? You'll, You'll never walk alone. You could make that into something more of a soundtrack for your life because this is what Jesus promises his disciples. The posture, the attitude of the one who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life is now at the right hand of God. Uh, Serving and promising his presence with and his help for all who live his way. And as a sign of his invitation to live his way as followers of the way, Jesus gave us this symbolic meal. We call it Holy Communion. We're going to celebrate it now at the end of this service. Some churches call it a Eucharist, which is from a Latin word meaning thanksgiving. And we can take it this morning with thanksgiving for this great worth that Jesus put on you to die for you, or this great calling He's given you and me to live a countercultural life, and this great promise to help us live this. For we do not walk alone. It's a song we sometimes sing at our prayer meetings. It goes like this. Um, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. It goes on, melts me. What does that mean? Melts away the pride that would have me sing as Frank does. There it is. Thanks a lot. Thank you. That's very good of you. Melts me. In other words, melts all the pride that's in me that would go my way, that wants my greatness. Molds me. In other words, reshape me, as Paul, writing to the Ephesians, puts it, to be made new in the attitude of my mind. Mold me in that way. And then after that, fill me. Fill me with your spirit that something of you, Jesus, comes out of me. Something of your posture. <laughs> you who washed the disciples' feet, you died on a cross... Be expressed through me, and therefore use me. Use me as a sign of your kingdom, of your hope, of your lordship in the worlds.